Well, church, today uh, we are continuing in our Easter sermon series, looking at the I Am statements that Jesus made in the book of John. Each week in this season, we're considering a different one of these identity declarations that Jesus makes, where he reveals to us something about who he is and what he is all about. Today, we're looking at the fifth of these defining remarks, which stands out from all of the others, because every other one of Jesus's declarations that we've already looked at and that we will look at that all the other ones are all natural illustrations, right? So Jesus has thus far identified himself as bread of light, as light of the world, as a shepherd, as a door. Uh, later he'll tell us that he's the way and that he's a vine. And all of these are things that we can kind of naturally understand, right? We know what bread is and how essential it is for life. We know what light is. And how essential it is for sight. We know what shepherds do and how doors work and the way that vines grow. All of these are natural examples. They are illustrations that are found in our world that make sense to us. But today we're considering an identity statement from Jesus that is not natural. That is not of this world. Instead, today's identity statement is supernatural. It comes to us from beyond this world. And hence, it's foreign to us. Which makes this I am statement from Jesus both problematic for us to understand and accept because we're not familiar with it, but also profoundly promising if we will receive it. Because this reality changes absolutely everything about our lives and about our deaths, and about our lives after our deaths. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn in it with me to John chapter 11. As we consider the profound problem that we face, and the profound promise that we receive, when Jesus declares that I am the resurrection and the life. Now the context of this entire passage is found in John chapter 11, Beginning in verse 1, where we read that a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now Lazarus and Mary and Martha were all siblings that were incredibly close friends of Jesus. We don't hear too much about them prior to this story. But in John chapter 10, we're introduced, sorry, Luke chapter 10, we're introduced to them as Martha welcomed Jesus into their house on an occasion when he was traveling around and teaching them. Uh, That's the account where we learn that Martha liked to serve Jesus while Mary liked to sit at Jesus' feet and learn. Uh, And then in John chapter 12, we have another account of them hosting a dinner for Jesus during a different time when he was in town. On this occasion, Mary anointed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume and she wiped his feet with her hair, expressing both her devotion to and her love for her Lord. Outside of our story today, those are the only interactions that we have recorded in the scriptures between the four of them. But the language that's used throughout our scripture passage today demonstrates the closeness of their relationships. In verse 3, when Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, they describe Lazarus as the one who Jesus loves. 
In verse 5, we're told that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In verse 11, Jesus describes Lazarus as his friend. And in verse 36, as the crowds are, are, are uh, witnessing Jesus crying, they interpret it as Jesus' love for, Na- for Lazarus. The, the point of all of that being that Jesus really did love and cared for and had relationships with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the reason that's important to understand is because of what happens next and because of its implications for our lives as well. Because what happens next does not at all feel like a loving response from a close friend to the news of Lazarus' illness. What we read in verse 5 is that in response to the news that Lazarus was ill... Jesus chose to stay two days longer in the place where he was. Rather than hurry to be with Lazarus and his sisters in their moment of need, rather than dropping everything and rushing to be by their side, rather than healing Lazarus from afar with a word, which they knew that he could do because he's already done it three times to people he didn't even know, Instead of doing any of that, Jesus chose to delay. He intentionally stayed away and waited for Lazarus to die. It doesn't feel like a response of love, does it? It didn't to Martha or to Mary. Or to anyone who was with them in those days of pain and grief and loss. We see each of their reactions to Jesus' delay in this story. In verse 21, when Jesus finally did arrive, four days after Lazarus had died, Martha's first words to Jesus were, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. A bit later in verse 32, when Mary goes out to meet Jesus, her first words to him when she saw him were, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And in verse 37, as the crowds witnessed all of this, they were saying to themselves, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? It's another way of saying, if Jesus had been here, Lazarus would not have died. No one who suffered through Lazarus' death and witnessed Jesus' delay experienced it as a response of love. Instead, they all, to a person, expressed this odd mixture of faith and accusation. You could have done something about this. That's a statement of faith. If only you had come. It's an accusation of neglect. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I wonder if in any way you can relate with that sentiment. 
Has there ever been a time in your life or in the life of a loved one when you expressed that accusation towards the Lord? Either out loud with your lips or with the emotional cries of your heart. If only you had been here, then fill in the blank. Whatever bad thing you've experienced wouldn't have happened. Only you had been here. And my sibling, my spouse, my child wouldn't have died. If only you had been here, I wouldn't have been injured in that accident. If only you would show up now, my illness wouldn't continue progressing. If only you had been here, then I wouldn't be in this dilemma as a result of that situation, whatever it may be. One time or another, I think we all wrestle with this accusation towards God. In our hearts, we want to believe that Jesus can answer any prayer, can heal any disease, can redeem any situation. But when he doesn't show up, when he doesn't seem to answer, when he delays in coming to our aid until it's too late, that's when we begin to question God's goodness. This is when we begin to question God's ability. This is when we begin to question God. If you have the ability to help and to heal, if you have the heart to help and to heal, then why would you not help us and heal us? This is the agony expressed in our psalm reading today when the psalmist cries out, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Where is God in the midst of our suffering? It's the question everyone in this passage is asking when they declare. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus' delay... And his refusal to come when Lazarus was ill and his insistence on waiting until Lazarus had died before he showed up. It doesn't seem like a very loving response from Jesus. This feels like one of those, if this is how you treat your friends, I'd hate to be your enemy kind of moments. None of this feels like a loving response. And yet, and yet, throughout this passage, Jesus insists that it is. In verse 5, we read that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. The reason that Jesus delayed, the scriptures tell us, is because he loved them. It was out of his love for them that he didn't come to Lazarus's aid. And in verse 14, Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus had died and that for their sake, he was glad that he was not there. 
There was some reason that it was good for the disciples, that Lazarus died and that Jesus wasn't there to heal him. How could this be? How is that love? How can Jesus not doing the thing that we most want him to do and the thing that we most need him to do? How can that be a good and a loving act towards us? How do we reconcile Jesus's non-action with the Lord who said he loves us? The only way that is possible. The only way this makes sense. The only way that God's goodness is justified in this. Is if he is doing something even greater through his non-action. Than he would be doing by his action. It's the only way that this works. If God has something even better than healing in store. And that's exactly what we see in the rest of this story. In verse 17 and following, when Jesus eventually arrives in Bethany. He comforts Martha with the assurance that her brother will rise again. Which she kind of brushes off, acknowledging she knows that will happen in the resurrection at the last day. But it doesn't seem to be too much comfort for her in the moment. But then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus declares that he is that end of life, end of time life. But with her here in the present. The, the, the hope that she has for the future is standing with her in the here and now. And then Jesus goes on to say, Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is proclaiming that through him, There is a kind of death that is not death, but is life. And that through faith in him, there is a life that never ends, even when we die. He's offering a different kind of life that not even death can hold down and that is never ending. A life that is better and truer, and a more powerful, and a longer lasting life than anything that we have ever known or could possibly imagine. And in order to prove that it is true to Mary, and to Martha, and to us, Jesus eventually asked the sisters to take him to Lazarus' grave. And after instructing the crowd to roll away the stone which had covered the tomb, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And in response, and in obedience to Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, the man who had died, and who for four days had been rotting in the grave, walked out of the tomb. Lazarus was alive again. And this is why Jesus' delay 
And his apparent non-action at the news of Lazarus' illness was actually a loving and a kind and a good response after all. Though no one could discern it at the time. Because in the end, what they discovered was that Jesus had something even more amazing than healing that he wanted to share with Lazarus. Jesus wanted to give Lazarus an entirely new life. Do you see that? There's a measures of magnitude issue going on here where Jesus is wanting to give them something bigger, something greater. Something grander than they've ever known before. He wants to give them more than they've ever known to ask for. Healing is great. But life from the dead? That is even better. It's even more amazing. And what I find most profound about this passage is is that Lazarus being raised from the dead, as amazing as that is, is still only the smallest glimpse of what Jesus has in store for us when he declares that I am the resurrection and the life. Because what Lazarus experienced this day isn't actually resurrection at all, but it was only a resuscitation. I mean, Lazarus was raised and brought back again from the dead, which is great, but he was not resurrected. And the difference is huge because because think about it. That Lazarus was going to die again. He would one day get sick again. His body would one day grow weak again. And eventually he would once again return to the grave. Lazarus was going to have to experience sickness and weakness and death all over again. And that's actually true for every one of the recipients of Jesus' healing miracles that he performed while he was here on earth. I mean, everyone that Jesus restored sight to would one day close their eyes in death and not be able to see again. Everyone that Jesus made able to walk would one day grow weak and frail and not be able to use their legs again. Everyone that Jesus gave the ability to hear would one day experience the deafening silence again as they laid down in the grave. Everyone who Jesus healed that was on the brink of death would one day eventually die. All of the miraculous healings that Jesus performed while he was here on this earth would one day come undone. But the promise of resurrection, it is different all Together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul explains the difference when he contrasts our mortal bodies with what our resurrected bodies will be. Paul says that our mortal bodies are perishable, but our resurrected heavenly bodies will be imperishable. He says that our mortal bodies are sown into the ground in dishonor. But our resurrected bodies will be raised in glory. He says that our mortal bodies are planted into the grave in weakness. But our resurrected bodies will be raised in power. Paul says that when we die, we leave these faulty, frail, feeble, failing earthly bodies behind for good. And in their place, we will be given imperishable 
glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies that never get sick, that never wear down, that never wear out, that never grow old, that never get hurt or ache or fail, that never grow weak or tired or weary. Paul shows us that in the end, there is absolutely no comparison. Our resurrected bodies are better by far. But in order to receive them, we have to go through the grave. We have to die a death that is not death, but is life. We have to live a life that even when we die, we live. And then we receive the promise of resurrection. But do you see how if Jesus healed us every time we needed healing, if Jesus saved us from death every time we were close to dying, if Jesus always intervened for us in this life, then we would never get to that better promised life. And we'd never receive the better thing that he has in store for us there. We'd never know the greater glory of resurrection. We want Jesus to heal us. And to heal us and to heal us and to heal us and to heal us over and over and over again. And if it were up to us, he would always show up. And he would always answer our prayers. And we and our loved ones would never get sick and die. And as a result, we'd never experience the greater glory that God has for us in the resurrection. We're a bit like C.S. Lewis described in The Weight of Glory. Far too easily pleased with this life. When God offers us something more. We're content making mud pies in a slum. Because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Jesus' offer of himself as the resurrection and the life is the holiday at the sea. He offers us, beginning in this life and culminating in the life to come, an abundance of life that is better by far. Are we willing to trust him love and his goodness to us and his care for us on the journey by which we get there. I want to end this morning with a question. It's a question that Jesus asks Martha in this passage. And hence, it's a question that he asks us as we read this passage. After Jesus told Martha that he was the resurrection and the life and that whoever believes in him, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Jesus then asks Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is a kind of death that is not death, but is life? Do 
you believe that through faith in Jesus, who is the resurrection and life, there is a life that never ends, even when we die? Do you believe that? Pray that you do. Because it changes absolutely everything for our lives and for our deaths and for our lives after our deaths. And so church, let us trust in the one who is our resurrection and our life. Even when he seems to delay. Even when our prayers seem to go unanswered. Even when his response or lack thereof may seem to be unloving. Let us trust in, let us trust that in life and in death, Jesus is doing far more for us than we can ask or imagine. For God's greatest glory and for our greatest good. Amen.